everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher, or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer, or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education and Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. And I'm extra excited for this episode because we're talking about potty training, which I know is such a horrendously important topic to so many people. I have worked on nonprofit boards for quite a few years. And potty training is always a humongous topic when boards bring those things in. You offer potty training and you know you're going to get a crowd. And I really think that the reason, and Molly and I get into this, but my personal opinion is that the reason for that is that potty training is like a rite of passage and it's associated with body function that we think is so incredibly normal, so routine. Sometimes people struggle to potty train their neurotypical kids, but those struggles are usually resolved in an acute time period. And with our children and adults that have developmental needs, there are so many complicating layers that are added into this potty training discussion. And I think because it is a, an otherwise quote-unquote normal body, bodily function, it has this kind of added layer of psychological complexity for caregivers. So I cannot wait to introduce this episode to you. I want to tell you a little bit about Molly. Molly is an autism consultant. You can find her at The Autism Consultant over on Instagram and on the internet. She works with parents to reduce challenging behaviors and to develop new skills. When working with parents, Molly helps families understand the reason for the barrier and how to move beyond that barrier. After years of being an autism teacher, it was clear that parents needed guidance on behaviors and skills at home. So Molly now supports parents from all over the world to improve behaviors, skills, and advocacy. I can't wait for you to dive into this episode and to meet Molly. Hi, Molly. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you here. Molly is one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Why don't we start off, Molly, and let you introduce yourself to my audience. Absolutely. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here today on the podcast. My name is Molly Johnson, and I am an autism consultant. And what I do is I collaborate with and support parents online with behaviors, potty training, skill development just supporting you parents in any way that I can to help move your child forward. I specifically work with families in the autism community. That's what I specialize in. I was an autism teacher and that's how I flowed over into this role when I realized that parents are out there looking for support and they're looking for so much more information for how to help their child at home. There are so many resources and supports and services for in school or in therapy services. But what about at home? What about when that parent is 
has to do bath time and they can't even get through bath time but, but because of behaviors? Or what about when that child is eight years old and that parent has tried to potty train five different times and they just can't break through it? Who is supporting the parent at home? So that's what I do. But I'm excited to be here and talk to your audience. And I think we're going to dive into potty training in a little bit, which if you follow me on Instagram, I love potty training. Yes. And it's such a big, important topic. And it's so funny because I can't believe when I reached out to you to be on the podcast, I can't believe that I have had a podcast this long and that we haven't talked about potty training yet. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think your background is so important because there are so many people out there that provide outpatient therapies by way of behavior or whatever it is, parent coaching, particularly to students and individuals that have autism, but haven't been in the classroom. And so I just want to weigh in here and say, of course, those outpatient clinicians are also super helpful, but I love that you've got the classroom experience because classroom behavior management is in fact different than behavior management in the community and at home. So I think you bring a really important spin to it, having been in the classroom for so long. Absolutely. And, you know, what I tell parents is a lot of what you're dealing with at home, I have most likely dealt with in a classroom. I've most likely dealt with the same type of behaviors and skills that this child needs to work on. I have just dealt with that in a different environment in the classroom and like 12 kids at once. <laughs> so a lot of things being thrown at me at once. and. That's really important to communicate to parents is that, hey, I've been there, I've gotten through this, and so can you. If I can get through it and I can figure it out, so can you. And that's what I just love helping parents with is getting through that and helping their child ultimately. Yeah, that's so true. And it also gives parents a little bit of empathy for the teacher, right? That when you approach things and say, don't forget that the teacher is also doing this for eight or 12 other children at the same time. And there's nothing like an observation to make you empathize with a special educator because holy cow, are there a lot of things going on? And then you add on top of that all the paperwork and communication and everything else. And yeah, yeah, that's a Oh, absolutely. A big- yeah. In my early years, actually at the first school that I taught at, a parent was upset because she thought her child wasn't getting the attention from me that he deserved. And she wanted to come in and observe me and observe her son. And I was like, oh, absolutely. Come on in. I have an open door policy. And as soon as she got in there within five minutes, she called me to the back and she said, are you short staffed today? And I said, nope, this is me. It's 13 kids and it's just me and one other paraprofessional. And she was like, oh my goodness, my, my kid isn't being ignored. You are understaffed and your school is not supporting you. And so that parent because she saw that she went and advocated for me I had begged for other help in the classroom because we were drowning just me one adult and then it was 12 or 13 very high needs kids and once this parent saw this she was like I'm going to get to work to you I'm going to every school board meeting she advocated I like to remind parents of that story too because sometimes the teachers are drowning and they're trying their best and so I like to let parents see both sides because you know when we're unhappy in a situation, we just see one side. We see, we feel like we're getting gypped on our side. But if we can open somebody's eyes to, okay, maybe, just maybe something else is going on here. 
it opens a whole new conversation between the parent and the school, which is just so important, I think. Yeah, that actually will foreshadow and say that I'm going to be on your podcast (laughs) not too long. (laughs) And you have a question about getting additional support in a classroom. Maybe that's your experience talking. But yeah, I mean, that I remember with my own son at his middle school transition meeting, he has in his IEP already written that he gets additional adult support. And I was like, do you guys need more help? I would be willing to advocate that he needs one designated person if that would make sure that you got an additional hire. I don't know who else is coming from fifth grade, that kind of thing. And together we did collaborate to make sure that the language was such that they were going to get all of the support that they needed uh, for the class that was coming in. So yeah, you can advocate for many different avenues. All right, let's talk about potty training because I have been on a number of boards at nonprofits that serve children with disabilities. And I'll tell you what, you do something on potty training and the world shows up. So let's talk about first why potty training is so important. I think there's so many complexities to toileting. So let's talk about why that activity of daily living is so important. I feel like this is probably really basic, but it's also something that people don't necessarily, it's almost like too basic for people to comprehend. So can we start there? It is basic, but it's so, so important. And the foundation of it for me is independence. And at the end of this, at the end of the day, we want to be future thinkers when we think about these kids. Yes, this child might be four or five years old and might be in diapers and pull-ups right now. But what about if we keep continuing like this and not getting this child potty trained and they become 15 years old and they are still depending on an adult to complete their daily living skills. And we want that child to be as independent as possible and rely less on other people and be able to complete things themselves. And one of the harshest realities that I really hate to bring up, and I don't like to bring this dark cloud into this situation, but individuals with disabilities are more likely to be taken advantage of if they have to rely on an adult for every single thing they do. They are at the mercy of adults, sometimes strangers that they really don't know. Maybe this, maybe a child turns into an adult and starts going to a day program with other adults helping them that they really don't know. And now they have to rely on those random stranger adults. And we just, we want to possibly prevent a situation where we're setting a child up to be at the mercy of another adult. We want that child to be able to walk into the bathroom by themselves, take care of the business, their business independently and move on with their day and get to work on other skills. But independence is the core of it. I want this child to not need me. I need. The, I want this child to not need mom and dad hovering over them and following them and doing every little thing for them throughout the day. But independence to me is always the goal and we have to be future thinkers. Yeah, and kind of the intersection, I like what you're saying about the intersection between independence, that intimacy, privacy piece of it, and then the like, actual just function, life function. I think that's a really great way to say it. And ultimately, students with disabilities, students with autism have uh, 
other hurdles that get in the way. But a lot of people struggle with potty training with kids that have otherwise typical needs. And they can't go to preschool or they can't start kindergarten or whatever because the preschool is not going to let them in unless they're potty trained. It's like the number one hurdle to preschool. Absolutely. And do you know what's so funny is that I have other families that find me and take my course that don't even have a child with autism. And they'll say, my gosh, my sister's cousin's friend (laughs) took your course and said it would be great for neurotypical kids too. I want to sign up. And I'm like, okay. They're like, the process is going to work for your child too. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of my older son's best friends literally just went to school. Like, and she was like, yeah, it's potty trained. And he wasn't. I'm sure that you found out day one. Oh my goodness. Oh, there were some good stories. And for him, he is neurotypical. And that social experience actually motivated him because it really was like a a typical boy laziness that he just didn't Mm -hmm. feel like. So it actually did work. And she suspected it would work. And so it did. Let's talk about some of those hurdles if we could, particularly for autistic people or anybody with neurodiversity. So let's talk about things that might get in the way of potty training. I'm sure there's other skills or other kind of like functions or underlying things that get in the way. So we have a lot to look at here. We have sensory differences to look at. And this can be tricky because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach necessarily for autistic kids because their sensory differences are so different from one to the next. And that's what I help parents with is understanding, okay, if there is some resistance, we're going to dig a little deeper and figure out what that resistance is. Is it, Maybe it's not resistance. Maybe it truly is a sensory difference that they are trying to avoid to protect themselves. And so we work around that. There's communication differences. Most potty training plans out there don't address sensory or communication. And ultimately, we want that child to be able to communicate and be able to say, hey, mom, I need to go to the bathroom in whatever way makes sense for them. It's not necessarily going to be verbal, but we have to take that into consideration and have a plan. We have to plan for how are we going to address communication? Because thinking back to independence, part of independence is being able to tell that adult that you are with, regardless of who it is, hey, I have to go to the bathroom and relieve myself. I need a private moment right now. We also have to think about processing needs. When I'm talking about information processing needs, where we take information in, we process it, we comprehend it, we digest it, and then we respond to it. And when I work with parents that have potty trained in the past, what I find is nine out of 10 times, they are throwing so many skills, so much information at that child at once and expecting that child to engage in it and initiate in the new skills Right. And I say skills because potty training is a series of multiple skills and they're putting too much on the child to process. And if we have a child who we know already has processing differences, they process information differently. We have to take that into account. And potty training is a ton of skills back to back. It's recognizing that full sensation, being able to communicate initiating walking into the bathroom, pulling their pants down, actually sitting on the toilet, relaxing and having that ability to relieve ourselves into the toilet, wiping, flushing, washing hands. That's a lot. And what I find is most parents throw that all at the kid at once. And that's not how I teach at all. I take one skill at a time 
and let that child have the processing time they need before we ask for any engagement. And also when we think about skill development, what I've found since working online as a consultant is most people with any skill, so any skill, potty training, anything else, when somebody is trying to teach a child something, they either show the child or tell the child the new skill and they expect immediate engagement, immediate imitation. And that's not how these kids learn. They need that processing time. And that is a big key factor that is missing in most of these teaching situations. I know I threw a lot at you with this answer. So I hope that kind of wrapped up and answered what you were asking. But yes, there's a ton to consider that most potty training plans, they don't even look at. And even what drives me crazy is, so there are tons of potty training blogs and information out there online. Like you, you type in Google, potty train a child. Well, somebody out there in the world has taken that information from neurotypical kids on the blogs and they, it's almost like they copy and pasted the same information for autistic kids on right. how to potty train an autistic kid. And I'm like, this is the same thing that I'm reading about neurotypical kids. They don't learn the same. They have different needs. Why are we following the same plan? Because they have different needs. That doesn't make sense. And right. potty train yeah. was something that I did in the classroom. And people get confused about this all the time and ask me, why, why did you potty train their students? And on top of academics, I had, it was my responsibility to teach daily living skills and functional life skills. And that was one of them. And if it wasn't in their IEP, by the time this kid is in third grade, I'm like, hey, I'm sick of changing these diapers. I contact mom and I'm like, let's go, girlfriend. Let's get this potty train ball rolling. If you'll let me take the lead on this, like I will gladly let the load, I'll do it all for you because I'm I would have stopped changing these diapers too. Yeah. I can't imagine any mom on the face of the planet would be like, no, thank you. That's exactly. not, it, maybe the privacy thing. Like there's probably a few people that don't want a third party to do it. Yeah. It, like I've been really diving into executive functioning and literacy and kind of the intersectionality between those two things recently. And as I think about executive functioning, like, but so crazy, but raising a kid uh, with Down syndrome, you're really lucky you get like an early interventionist that comes to your house when they're six weeks old and it's okay. And now we go toward midline and away from midline and crossing midline and all the things. And you also start to develop those executive functions, right? So like we play games and we make, we try to increase wait time and we try to work on mood modulation and all of those things. And I think about all of those things like in this microcosm of potty training and think, yeah, that's why we were building all of those skills. So like these little executive functioning skills that we build in toddlers and in adolescents really all go into the bigger activities of daily living that are so important to our independence. I always say, I think that's the most beautiful thing of raising a kid with a disability is like life, as you said, like you, you read the blogs for neurotypical kids, but then we get to break it down and really see why we do it and how we do it more deliberately. I just, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People forget to break it down and they, yeah. they yeah. get to take a different approach 
And I'm just trying to change the game out there and teach people, no, we have to see it differently. We have to see it from this lens and we have to create a different plan. Uh That plan, I'm telling you, it doesn't work for 90% of autistic kids because the parents try it four or five times and then they come to me and they're like, okay, you have to help me. I'm done day training. I'll give it one last shot with you, but you have to help me. (laughs) I'm up for the challenge. Help me. So I guess that's the kind of next logical question is, so if people want to get started in potty training, I know you've got a course on this. Give us like a little elevator speech on how do you get started? What are some things that you can do in order to get the ball rolling, as you said? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you two tips for kind of pre-potty training and what you want to do before you start potty training. And one thing that I want all parents to do is start changing your child on the floor of the bathroom, the living room, the bedroom. None of us take care of our business in the living room and the bedroom. We take care of our business in the bathroom. So start changing the pull-ups and diapers there. We want that child to build the connection, the location association connection that I take care of all of my pee and poop needs in this one location. And I want that child to be as close to the toilet as possible to warm them up to the idea of possibly sitting on that toilet one day. The parents changing them on the bathroom floor. And if they can, dump what they can from the pull-up and diaper into the toilet. Because again, location association. We want that child to learn that toilet has a purpose. We're going to do something with it. What we do with our body ends up going down the toilet. And what I really love to point out to kids is, and teach them through this process is we're okay afterwards. After mom dumps what came from my body and it flushes away forever, I'm okay. Because a lot of kids feel like when they're relieving themselves, it's a piece of them. It's a part of them. And so if we sit them on the toilet for the first time and expect them to poop in the toilet, that's scary because if they feel like an internal part of them is leaving them, it's going down this dark hole flushed away and we never see it again, that is terrifying for a child that already has anxiety. And so we can help eliminate some of that fear and warm the child up to the process from the very get-go before we even sit them on the toilet. Another thing that I want parents to do before they even sit their child on the toilet is start modeling. Model how to go to the bathroom. You know, when you go to the bathroom five times a day, all five times, I want you taking your child with you, have them in the bathroom with you. They don't have to do anything. They can have a toy in their hand. I don't care what they're doing in there, but I want them in there with you so that they can possibly see that model. And you might not feel like they're paying attention and they're seeing you on the toilet if they have something else in their hand, but they are. The kids soak in what's going on around them. And again, if we go back to learning and how a child learns, they learn through model and imitation. So if we are missing that model, that modeling piece, we're going to struggle with the imitation. So from the very beginning, before you even sit the child on the toilet, they should be seeing multiple models of an adult that they trust, that they love in their life using that toilet. Yeah. And so I was going to interrupt you between one and two and say, another thing that you're doing is you're just talking about toileting. Oh. Normally, we have to normalize the conversations, but man, there's nothing that normalizes going to the bathroom, like going to the bathroom in front of people. And I know that like really weirds people out. In college, we cuss on my podcast. This is, that's a warning. 
Then college, you know how college houses are funny. We had a, we called it a double shitter. We had two toilets. I'm sure there used to be like a thing in between them. None of my roommates would go to the bathroom if anybody else was in there. And I'm like, you guys, there's literally a book called Everybody Poops. And by the way, that's not what I'm doing in here. Privacy is a thing, right? Like we want to model privacy. But at the end of the day, if you just have to go potty, then go potty. It's a natural thing. I don't know. I'm a swimmer. I have very little modesty. And so I agree, though. Modeling, it doesn't have to be crude. It doesn't have to be a display. But modeling seems to be something that would certainly help you over your anxiety if you had uh, a, a sensation that something was leaving your body and it was a part of your body. That's not something that I can really even identify with, but it's very common to feel that way. Oh, absolutely. And just going off of your story, so that is a real thing, having stage fright as well. There are two sides of this. Number one, yes, we want to normalize going to the bathroom in the toilet. We want the kid to see mom and dad going to the bathroom as much as possible. But on the flip side, that stage fright is a real thing for those kids. And I can relate because I could not go to the bathroom in that college house if somebody else was going to the bathroom too. Even if someone's in them like mirror vanity getting their makeup done, I could not walk in there, sit down and go to the bathroom because stage fright is real to me. And I was talking to a parent the other day who she would sit her child on the toilet and be in front of his face and encourage him to go and I was like okay but if you went to the bathroom with me I know how to use the toilet but if you took me to the bathroom and you were in front of my face and you were encouraging me to go guess what I couldn't go it doesn't matter how bad I have to go because that anxiety and that stage fright is a real thing so sometimes once you do get to the point where you're sitting the child on the toilet I tell parents pretend you're turn your back pretend you're doing something else in the bathroom yeah pretend you're getting something out of the bottom cabinet, maybe step out of the doorway, give that child some privacy because some kids start to realize, oh, this is a private moment and I like my privacy. I feel more comfortable. I'm more willing to perform when I have privacy. So we have to remember that going into it as well. That definitely plays a role. And if they desire privacy and they desire to go to the bathroom independently, then you're going to be more apt to achieve that ultimate independence, which is the ultimate goal. Like we don't want to be performance when we get to the back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Want to yeah. With a toilet and be like, go. And they go, no, we, this is a private moment. We want that kid to have that private moment. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And I'm sure Molly, a lot of that is situational, right? So like some kids, Literally, my Griffin, I put him on the body and he went to the bathroom, but he is 16 years old. And I think it's just been like 18 months ago that he stopped asking me if he could go to the bathroom because he just, he's like, mom, he just got his driver's license, glasses on, hands it nine and three, phone put away. Like he's just a rules follower. So I put him on that little potty and he would go. My Jack is very empathetic and like humanly connected. And I have literally hugged him on the toilet because he needed like my co-regulation to encompass him so that he could concentrate on maybe something that was going to hurt or just actually concentrating on going to the bathroom, whatever it was. So there's probably a personality component to it too, right? 
Absolutely. Yes. And while I think there is a process to follow, I agree. It is 100% situational and we're going to have to make modifications and little changes for every child and their need. And in that case, there was some anxiety with your son, but a different type of anxiety. Instead of performance anxiety, it was needing that comfort of their comfort person. You were your son's comfort person and his security blanket. And so you helped with anxiety in that way. So yes, potty training in every aspect, it is situational. Like it or leave it, as weird as it might be, this is what love is. Yeah, exactly. Right. We have to do what we have to do. This is love. I'll hold you. I can't tell you. I'm not a boy and I raised two, so I can't tell you how many weird things I've screamed down the steps at my husband about things that happen in the bathroom and other places. What about uh, the ebbs and flows of progress? This is, I think it might be because people feel like toileting is like the basic need of humanity that people are so emotionally tied to it. I used to see it in divorce where one parent would do one thing and the other parent would do another. And I'm like, why is there so much emotion tied to these diapers or tied to toileting or whatever it was? How can caregivers cope with the ebbs and flows of progress? I'm certain that they're normal, right? Oh, absolutely. And but there's there are some things to know before you get started so you can possibly only see progress and move forward and not see that regression. And you talked about divorced parents. And one of the things that I bring up to parents that I work with is if your child is in full time school or full time therapy, you can absolutely potty train them and still send them to school, but only if your team is on board. And that consistency will be there. And that communication, that open line of communication will be there. Because if school's not following exactly what mom and dad are following at home, we're sending mixed messages to that child. We're sending mixed messages on what the expectation is. And when we send mixed messages, guess what? We get mixed results from that child. If school's on board, absolutely. You can start potty training your child, send them to school on Monday, and plan will be followed from eight to three from the teacher. But if your, if your team, your therapy team or your school team is not quite on board, you're going to want to wait until spring break or summer break or winter break to start working on potty training because that consistency, it's make it or break it. And I, but I will say that when I work with families that send their child to school or daycare and the team really is on board and they are following the same exact plan, those kids tend to make a lot faster progress than the parents that pull their kid out of school and work on potty training with them. Because what happens is the child is seeing that same expectation in multiple environments. They're seeing that same expectation pushed and communicated from multiple adults that they love and trust and they're used to being around. And when I see that, we just see so much faster progress. Now, when we talk about the ebbs and flows, let's talk about regression. So this child's making progress, they're doing great. And then all of a sudden there's a regression. And most of the time it's because of some big change that was implemented that the child was not prepared for. So when a child regresses, one of the first things I ask is, was there a big change that happened? And remember, not a big change to mom and dad, a big change in the child's eyes. So maybe dad went out of town for work all week long. Maybe grandma came in town 
and is staying and sharing a bathroom with that child for the next three days. Maybe the child moved school, started a new therapy center. What change happened that the child wasn't prepared for? Because most of the time we can pinpoint, oh my goodness, you know what? The parent will say, oh my goodness, you know what? The regression happened right when my mom came in town and was staying in my son's room or using the bathroom. I can almost always pinpoint it to some type of big change that we did not prepare the child for. Also, what I see when it comes to regression is with my process, we use a lot of different strategies and supports. And what happens sometimes is those supports are not faded away. So a parent will see a child as, okay, they're potty trained. They can pee and poop on the toilet. Yes, we accomplished it. We made it. Let's rip everything away. and go on with our day like everything's normal. No, don't. It's like we're taking the carpet and just ripping it out from underneath that child. They're going to fall down. And so we have to consider the fading process and maybe we'll eliminate this support first. Maybe we'll take away this visual next. Maybe we'll stop this strategy after that. I want it to be a faded process because it's shocking to the kid when everything they're used to, we now change the game. And so it's like, I want you to enter and exit potty training with ease as a process, as a faded process. You know, in the beginning, we're not just sitting the child on the toilet and saying, go pee, go poop. We're not throwing them into it. It's going to be a process. I have it. It's actually a two-week process for my families. And then as we exit, take away some of those supports, same process. Let's fade it out. Yeah, that's that is. Probably the right answer. It's definitely the right answer. But it seems to me like that is, those are all things to consider for human development and for human behavior across the board, right? Like that continuity, the consistency, the fading of supports, the reutilization of supports that you haven't used in the past. It's just such good practical knowledge that becomes secondhand to us over the course of time, but maybe is not secondhand until you've done this with a few things. Gosh, Molly, like such good stuff. So we can, we'll tell people my secret. And that is that I am getting a root canal in about 48 hours and I have been in incredible pain. And Molly, as suspected, it happened. I got so jazzed about our conversation that I forgot about the pain for a while. That's the ultimate compliment. Um, Tell people where they can find you and get information and maybe even register for your potty training course. Absolutely. So I spend the most amount of time on Instagram. If you're out there looking for me, my Instagram handle is the autism consultant. And then same with my podcast. I'm there every week with a new episode. If you just go to your podcast app, type in the autism consultant. It's there. It's free. It's on most podcast platforms. And I have information out there on my social media and podcasts about everything. Behaviors, skill development, potty training, the IEP process, my time in the classroom, bringing on awesome guests, which I'm excited to bring you on to interview you so parents can learn about what you do. But there's a ton of information out there. Go soak it all up. Yeah, me too. There. I have so enjoyed what you have put into your space and started following you 
maybe even before Ashley Barlow Company came to be, but if not really towards the beginning and just so value everything that you put out there. So go follow Molly and Molly, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here.